listening to Two Sons of Tatooine. If there's a bright center to the universe, you're listening to the podcast that it's farthest from. And here are your hosts, Jonathan and Nathan. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Two Sons of Tatooine. My name is Dr. Pershing. Wait, no, and welcome to my TED Talk. Oh, wait, you're not part of that yet. I'm Nathan, and I'm joined today... Your writing is hilarious. I'm joined today by my co-host, Jonathan Cohn. Today, we're talking about the real important question. What do Imperial Yellow Biscuits actually taste like? (laughs) Will Grogu ever get to taste the joy of one of those Coruscant Carnival glowy ice pipe treats? (laughs) Is Dr. Pershing aware of his own... It's a trap reference. (laughs) All that and more in The Mandalorian Chapter 19, the The Convert. Uh, directed by Lee Isaac Chung and written by Noah Kluwer and John Favreau. Uh, the discourse <clears throat> has been difficult around this season, but you can guarantee to have a good time for us today as we have plenty of opinions to discuss. And we'll just start, Jonathan, as we always do, by throwing it your way to give us some introductory thoughts. So um, uh, the first thought I had when watching this episode was, oh, man, they're doing that? Oh, man, they're doing that? Oh, uh, and almost all of it I was happy about. Um, although the whole time I was watching this, I was like, I'm not sure how the general fandom's going to f- feel about this. Um, uh, for instance, uh, on, uh, what was that? Friday, I talked to my dad, uh, and my mom and dad watched the episode and they're very much casual fans. And I said, so what did you think? And my dad said, it was interesting. It was interesting. Which was his wording for, he didn't care for it. <laughs> Uh, he didn't love it, but like he didn't like have a problem with it. It's not like he hated it. He was just like, yeah, this, they they want more Mandalorian and Grogu, and it's not as much as what they got this episode. So uh, no, but I like this was like catnip for me. I just I loved it. I I thought this was exactly the type of thing I find interesting, and the behind the scenes stuff I also find interesting. And there's so many technical things in this episode that. I want to talk about. So yeah, I I I had a fun time with it, uh, even though I assume the general fandom's not going to rally behind this episode. I think that's the general. As far as I find a lot of interesting parts about it that I really like to talk about, mm-hmm. but overall I I do agree when I read the things that people are saying, which are, you know, a lot of things that this doesn't feel like the tone of Mando. Uh, why was the scenes with Dr. Pershing so long compared to the rest of the episode? Right. Those type of things are very warranted. Um, but we still got so many really cool things. And, you know, it's interesting that Star Wars fans, we, we complain regardless. So it's just a different type of right. complaint. It's too long. <laughs> it's too short. Why was, why was it too long here? Why was it too short there? I love the slow burn. I hate the slow burn. Everybody's going to have an opinion. Right. Um, <clears throat> my opinion was that overall this was a very good episode. And even though there was certain things of it that felt very new for the Mandalorian to do, it was, uh, it was a very good lived in world that we got to experience on Coruscant of all places. Mm -hmm. And which I love the world of Coruscant enough that I don't mind the more we see of that planet. And there's so many things to see that we could probably live there and never see all of the cool things. Um, so you want to get into that or shall we actually talk about the first of the scene? I, I think we should probably start out with the intro. Yeah. The intro. Is, yes. Yes. I really, yeah. Throw your way. You, you start us off. Well, the intro proves how well you can act without taking off a helmet. Cause in the whole intro yes. scenes, <clears throat> Bo-Katan doesn't take off her helmet for a very good reason, because uh, they needed her to not take off the helmet. And now Mando's not, he's certainly not taking off his helmet now that he finally got cleansed. He's like, okay, this thing's not coming off. <laughs> uh, so yeah. so the, the, the helmets aren't coming off. So other than Grogu, who can emote, but he can only emote a little bit. Uh, they have to act through the helmets. So they do a really good job with head tilts and with pauses and with the way they deliver the lines, the tone and all that stuff. And the way that you can just tell that she is, Bo-Katan is thinking, oh my gosh, I just saw this mythical creature like 
this is changing my worldview. And she's, but she doesn't mention it to Din, which makes me think she just wants to hold on to this for later so that she can utilize it uh, as a shrewd politician that she is. Um, and I like seeing mm-hmm. characters act that way in Star Wars. I thought we were going to see um, uh, Boba Fett f- act very shrewdly in the book of Boba Fett. I thought he was going to get all the crime lords behind him and he was going mm-hmm. to get right. these these people who disagreed with him to work for him because he had the better pay and things like that. I thought he was going to be the shrewd person. Turns out that's not mm-hmm. exactly what that ended up being. Um, and I'm <laughs> I was hope- surprised by that too. I'm hoping that like uh, that uh, Bo-Katan is shrewd here and, and, and they don't, they don't fumble, fumble the ball here. Uh, but I thought I, I thought that that was a very well written opening scene, and then them going back to uh, uh, to uh, what's the name Kalavala. I I was like the only reason they want to go back to this planet. I thought was oh because you want to get him back into his ship, which is on Kalavala. But then I realized oh it's also because they want to do that cool action sequence, which I thought it was great. I, I, and this goes to the idea of the general episode. I think clone mm. people who specifically like the Clone Wars are going to really like this episode because you got to see that Mandalorian ship in battle, which we'd only get to see a little bit in Clone Wars. And then you also got to see the Coruscant stuff later that had a lot of Clone Wars references. So, uh, but but I thought that that opening scene from from the open from the initial opening scene and then the other. Uh, opening with the whole battle with the sh- with the tie interceptors was all very visual. It didn't feel like you were in the volume. It felt very well constructed. Nothing nothing about this felt cheaply made. It felt like they were actually going full out on this Star Wars show. Hmm. When we first started talking about getting a live action Star Wars show, we could have only hoped that our you know quality would be so good as to have this type of space battle mm-hmm. and to have multiple ones of them, which we yeah. have been able to have. So I'm very pleased with the quality of it. Um, <clears throat> I felt like there's a small joke to be made about if she had had to give like uh, Din like mouth to mouth to resuscitate him. Like, does he now have to go back in the masks? Masks and stuff, and then they have to go back inside, you know, back into the water. He's like, <laughs> and, then he gets dr- and then he drowns again, and so it's just a cycle. <laughs> At least, you know, they they did a couple things, which were, you know, they said that the seismic activity from the bombing uh, probably reshaped the cavern. Which last week we talked about, like, you know, where the the priests and things were they really nervous? Like, oh, we know that this thing's down here, and every time they baptize a kid, they're like, uh oh, you know, I hope it doesn't attack. No, that you know, so they did kind of kind of, that was a small little dialogue loophole that they fixed. Yes. yes. Um <clears throat> it wasn't originally that deep. It was, you know, it's all that cool stuff. Um Have you it's yeah, have you, by thought, the way Oh, I was going to say it's like that meme. Uh I don't know if you've seen it. It's like a cartoon meme where it shows these dwarves <laughs> digging through the mines of Moria and it says sometimes it's okay to give up and it shows the guy, one guy giving up. And one guy keeps going, and the guy that keeps going is about to get into the area where the Balrog is. Um, yes, and it shows yes. if he just kept going. Okay that's like that's like they had this little pool there, and they're like, "All right, we're d- making the pool eight feet feet deep." But if they had made the pool pool twenty feet deep, they would have hit the um, the Mythosaur. So it's like, oh, they're so lucky that the pool only went so far. <clears throat> that's that's what that line was mm. saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with regard to the to the acting of Bo, um, whenever her home is destroyed, I really wished that we could have seen her face. I hate that we didn't get to because mm-hmm. I I know she must have been devastated. Um, fortunately, I don't think there was anybody there but droids. Her protocol droid would have been the only ca- casualty. Yeah, yeah I don't we don't think care there was him. any other people. <laughs> but it was her home. It was her home still. So that's definitely like. It's going to be a factor for her, and she's homeless now. And with her people having abandoned her, she's also very much in a place where I wouldn't have expected her to be as a character. Predicting predicting that, one, she would be having her home destroyed and that all of her followers would have left her going into this season is not what I would have seen coming. Yeah. But by doing that, John 
and Dave are able to put this character of Bo in a state of weakness enough so that she would actually accept an offer to join the watch. And that is very interesting because of all of the factors that have had to come into place just to set her up exactly right to join them, it seemed like there was a lot of tweaking that went into that and a lot of writing wanted her to be in the watch. So I'm interested to see why they wanted her so badly in the watch. Um, But it was, it was very sensical. I appreciated that they spent the time to do that. Um, Talking about, um, before we kind of get into the Coruscant stuff, um, yeah, the whole, any other, any other thoughts of that? I, I thought the biggest question was who sent, and like who yeah. sent these tire interceptors? Did you have a theory? I mean, you, I think... go with Thrawn? I, I, I'm going with Thrawn because that's my standard now is, is I see anything, I'm like, ooh, Thrawn did it. Um, I saw, you and I talked about this a little bit, I saw what, some people online saying, oh, if you look at the style of attack pattern that, Thrawn, that the TIE fighters <clears throat> use and the TIE interceptors use, it's a lot like what Thrawn would do. And I'm like, okay, you guys, you're reading too much into it. This... Any any imperial warlord would do the same thing. They'd send so so. I don't I don't think that that's the evidence. I just think the evidence is that they're, they they <clears> they've <throat> been building the Thrawn, and there's a reason they didn't show. I feel like if it was just going to be a throwaway villain, or if it was just going to be someone small time, they would have showed their face right here. But they specifically didn't show who the villain was. Um, mm. uh, and I don't think it's Gideon. Or if it is Gideon, it's because he's working for Thrawn or something like that. So I'm interested to see if this continues to... Unf- uh, if, if, if we're going to continue <clears throat> to see in the future, which I think we will. There's a very specific reason we did not see who sent those TIE fighters or interceptors. So mm. I'm, I'm, I'm I would have enjoyed, like, a... What if they'd cut away at the end and shown the TIE fighters just returning... To yeah. a star destroyer or a super right. star, star, you star don't, you don't, you just don't a big see ship inside, right? But you would know it's somebody big. Um, yeah, I, I, I wonder how they did know exactly when, and it makes me think that maybe on Mandalore there is some kind of imperial probing because mm-hmm. they were they were at least watching enough to know, and maybe that's why Bo didn't go before. She's like, well, it's probably being watched. I don't want to, you know, the Empire may have left sensors behind or something, but that's how. They probably figured it out is, you know, okay, there's there's a ship that's landed. Nope, there's another ship that's landed. All right, let's let's go take care of these people that are landed on the Mandalore. But what are they protecting on Mandalore? There's got to be some, if the Empire's, like, why are they after Bo specifically and bombing her castle, like, right now? Like, what's the, what are they afraid of with Bo? You know, that's that's a question that needs to be answered. Do you agree? Yeah, and I think they will get there. I th- I think they'll get there eventually. Um, uh, this cool, is, cool, cool. This is a this is a bridge, an- another bridge episode. All right, we've now dealt with the Mandalore storyline going there between the bathing, and now we're getting the characters to where she and Bo or she and she and Din are in the watch again, seeing how they deal with being in the watch again. So the next episode's going to be an episode that really focuses a lot on them and advances that part of the story. Um, it was really so, cool seeing him dip out of the ship too. Yeah. And jump jump out. back down to a starfighter. Yeah. And, and as people probably already know, like we talked about this during watching it together, but if these had been regular tie fighters, I, they would have absolutely just obliterated the crap out of them. These tie interceptors are the real deal. They yeah. are, they, they were are not very, easy very dead. Yeah. You're talking about two of the best pilots with two of the best ships. And, I mean, now, he says he didn't get a scratch, and he didn't. But, I mean, it wasn't child's play. It was, took some clever fighting and, and, and you know, dog fighting there. It was really fun to watch. But, I mean, the question, like, who has these? They say, eh. Even they backtrack on the whole Imperial Warlords idea. Yeah, yeah. They're like, they, they I'm do, not so sure. This seems... They, they say it, and then they're like, actually, that seems a little bit much for a regular, you know, Imperial Warlord. Okay. Well, let's move into... The second part, which is the latter, the bigger portion of this episode, kind of the the middle in this whole course hunt stuff. When first I saw the scenery, I was like, oh, yes. Thrilled and excited and visuals are beautiful. But my reaction gradually began to be, oh, this is slow. Oh, this is really slow. Where's this going? And so my first time watching this, probably like most people, was like, okay, why and my second time watching this, I was like, I was prepared for it. I was like, okay, just chill, enjoy it. And I liked it better. 
I liked it okay. I didn't like every part of it, but I liked some parts of it a lot. Um, your thoughts on that whole thing? Well, first I'll say it's always fun watching it with you and, and with our other friends that we get to watch them with sometimes because it's so much more fun getting to make jokes and, and, and just, just, just cut up and stuff. Uh, that's so much more fun than just watching by yourself. But I do appreciate that we watch by ourselves first so you can get the experience of just focusing on seeing. Yeah, it's, it sucks. It sucks for the people watching with right, us. Right, exactly. Because <laughs> they're yeah. like, why do Jonathan and Nathan keep making jokes at each other? I'm trying to watch. <laughs> right. Chill out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Thankfully, thankfully, the they person we watch it. it the, per, the person we watch it with usually is a pretty good sport. Um, but, uh, no, I... I, uh, I I enjoy watching it with you because of the, the jokes and, and having fun. But I, the first time I watched this, I was surprised. But I was like, I'm okay. I'm here for this. Um, I'm going to make my two, uh, my, my, my two Andor jokes. Uh, one is that this is the Mandalorian um, uh, episode. Mm-hmm. The, the second joke was that this was a Star <laughs> Wars sandwich. Uh, the two slices of bread were the Mandalorian and then the big chunk of meat was the uh, uh, was the Andor section, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, what what I really liked about this scene is it ac- what the, this sequence is it actually dealt with like all eras of Star Wars, and really blended them together well. If you are a fan of the prequels, you got the whole theater, like the your recreation of the theater stuff, um, and you got to see some Coruscant stuff that you appreciate. Um, uh, and if you're a, uh, uh, an empire era fan, you got to see that star destroyer on Coruscant, which was great. And you got to see, um, uh, discussions about what life in the empire was like. And then if you're a fan of the new Republic era, you get to see a lot of what the new Republic's doing. And if you're a fan of the sequels, uh, specifically some of the music cues in the sequels, there's music cues for you. And if you're fans of the Clone Wars, there is a set piece. There is a specific set piece that is a Clone Wars set piece. That it's like they just lifted it out of the Clone Wars episode. It's specifically, do you remember the Clone Wars episode where Satine is, uh, Duchess Satine is on Coruscant. And she is being mm-hmm. hunted by the assassin. And... Uh, Obi-Wan has to have a secret covert meeting with her where they both do the, the Jedi thing where they just put up hoods to hide. Um, uh, mm. Well, that location of where they do that is the location where they're having the, the, <clears throat> the little light-up pop things that they're, they're sucking on. So yeah. it, it, it was so cool that you I got to see like, a specific Clone Wars set. like Not just a prequel set, a Clone Wars set. In, used in live action. It worked very well. There were a handful of shots where Ike was like, that's the volume. For example, when they were uh, in the train, in the caboose of the train, and you never really see the sides. You only ever see them looking out of the train. Uh, I thought, I was like, that's, that's, that's uh, uh, the volume. And then also when you see mm. the camera pan up, and you see them walking out on the ledge where the Star Destroyer was. I was like, okay, they're walking right up to where the the, the screen is for the <clears> volume. Like I could, I could just tell by the way the the angle, the curve of the shot was. But there's there's mm. only so much you can do with with CGI, and it still looked really good. Like I, that's with me being real nitpicky about it. Like overall, the Coruscant stuff felt like movie quality. It, we, I really did. And that's the biggest problem that Marvel's having is their movies now feel like cheap TV or cheaper TV, and their their big visuals aren't working well enough. Well, the visuals in this TV series are working for me. So, anyway, that's my general thoughts. I think on this with section. the Star Destroyer, we we needed to see a more recognizable part of the interior mm-hmm. to appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to some new stuff, so we saw the science lab, but it was kind of you know, just a little bit bland and normal. Yeah. Uh, so it could have been anywhere. Um, you know, it, but we saw a lot of like, uh, it reminded me a little bit of episode five when the Millennium Falcon was kind of like basically pulled apart with wires everywhere and everything. And like, yeah. they're trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you got three PO and R2 covered in wires. The, you know, the star destroyer looked a little bit like that. Yeah. Uh, with what just being, being, being stripped down. So that leads me to the question, um, by destroying 
Imperial equipment and dismantling the Alliance fleet, the New Republic is demonstrating a certain kind of thinking and approach. And what do you think that approach is? And are they already doomed by this approach? Well, I would say that I think they're taking a little bit from history where in post-World War II Germany, there was this fear of using anything specifically um, uh, like the, that the Nazis used. You know, they didn't want to use anything that had Nazi symbols. They didn't want to use anything that had been like promoted by the Nazis. So they were very careful in what they used. So they destroyed a lot of items. They destroyed a lot of things that could have been utilized. Cars, uh, documents, machines, things that could have been utilized by them for good. They specifically destroyed them because they were f- so fearful of the imagery of using... Nazi stuff or of, of other things like that. Mm-hmm. But the key difference between this, the, the New Republic dismantling the Empire and uh, the, the post-Germany is that Germany, at least West Germany, uh, West Germany had an ally, the United States, that could supply them with everything. We were flying stuff in and, and giving them all new stuff that they needed. The difference is here, they don't, they don't have that. They're just trying to make do. So it makes them seem more, the New Republic seem incompetent because they have all these things they could use and they're not using them because they're afraid of the, yes. the imagery and stuff. And so, so if there was this huge um, force that had come in and helped the resistance, or, or sorry, helped the rebellion uh, uh, take over, then that, they, they could have supplied them with everything they need, but they didn't. And so this was actually a problem that they introduced in the Aftermath novels where uh, Mon Mothma just decided, let's just mothball the fleet. Let's just get rid of it. And they're like, um, shouldn't we leave a few ships? And she's like, yeah, but we really don't need a fleet anymore. We destroyed the Empire. We do not want to be the Empire ourselves. She was so afraid of the imagery of the New Republic having a big fleet and looking like the Empire that she created such a small fleet that the, the, resist- the, the, the First Order was able to grow unchecked. It's kind of like how... You know, if we don't, if we, if we as the United mm-hmm. States aren't involved in other countries and we pull back too much and we start conserving too many resources, people will start to think, oh, the U.S. is never going to bother us. And so they'll do things that are bad, mm-hmm. such as Russia recently. Russia felt, they mm-hmm. felt confident that we weren't going to bother them going into Ukraine. So the parallels mm-hmm. are lots here. <laughs> <laughs> the scene that you know, I think it's the most telling is the one where the kind of, you know, uh, high-class elites have a discussion outside in the hallways with Dr. Pershing. And one of them even makes the comment like, you know, New Republic, Empire, is a, I forget what, you know, it just it's all the same to me. Uh. Um, and he's so persnickety with his attitude. He's It just reminds me, one, you know, for, for people who are not aware of this, I'm just going to going to open your eyes up right now but the government <clears throat> even when your people are the ones in control in the government they are never on your side <laughs> they are never going to be your hero or your rescuer uh they are oh my gosh a lot of the government the elites jobs stay regardless <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the like Ex- yeah. people in the agencies uh, the blah people in the non-appointed positions or non-elected positions are going to stay there no matter who's president, who's Very, in charge yes. of the Senate and the House. So these these career bureaucrats uh, of the term we, we use now, the, the, these career bureaucrats. So reflective will, of the real world. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now, I, I mean, thought that even line, the comments of the courtyard where they said uh, the cogs. He yeah. said it's it's just the same. There's just no cogs talking about the imperial right. flags the, yeah. everywhere. Everything's about the same. Maybe they're a little nicer, but that you know, it's basically it. And uh, I Is thought that, what that you were the line. Say? Well, no, I was gonna say I thought that the line uh, used by that man who's like New Republic Empire, same difference. That's why I don't talk that much. I was that line was like. I know what they're trying to go for, and it's obvious what they're trying to go for. But it was too cheesy. It was too direct. <clears throat> too over the top. Um, uh, like you think so? If this, I, here's what I think: had the Andor writers written that sequence, they it would have gone something like this, where he was talking about how much they want to support the Empire, and then his the character's wife would have said, "No, no, honey, it's the New Republic now," 
and he says, right, right, or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, it wouldn't have been that whole, oh, oh, well, this is, I, we, we, we elites are out of touch, nudge, nudge, or, mm-hmm. or it makes no difference to us, we stay the same. Like, that's the, it was, it was so over the top, because they want, they want every single person in the audience to get the idea. It's like, if you just pull back a little bit, make it a little bit more highbrow, hmm. everyone's going to get it, but it's not going to feel cheesy. Hmm. I, I kind of like that suggestion, but I, I think it still gets its point across well yeah. enough for me. Um, but it it makes me think a lot about their ideology. And while I, I'm fairly confident that there are some good people uh, who end up in leadership roles in the New Republic, you know, there's there's got to be some for, for it to be moving in a positive direction. Uh, and, and that's going to trickle down through some of the ranks. Um, you've got the idea of the amnesty program, mm-hmm. uh, which is in and of itself, we can talk about it in a second, but just the whole concept of how are they going to govern, how are they going to differentiate from the empire, how are they, what are the things that are very practically speaking that are different, and what are the things that aren't? And you look at Coruscant, and I think the basic thing that this is telling us is to anybody on Coruscant, it doesn't change. Things haven't changed. It's like one thing to the next. It's just a different color. It's a different team. It's a different, you know, okay, Stark's in control. Okay, Lannister's in control. It's just a lion versus a wolf. Right. That's all it is. It's it's literally, you know, in Coruscant, I think, they're in that position where, as being the elites, they probably feel the least amount of change from, you know, regime to regime. Uh, but <clears throat> it's just one of those things that I think this episode, it really gives us that. And we needed and still need more, you know, context for where the New Republic is at. Um, you know, they've got, of course, they've got their police. They've got their rangers. Like, we've seen, like... X-Fighters, sorry, X-Wings, and, and, you know, pilots show up almost like, you know, like U.S. Marshals traveling in the Old West or something like, you know, dealing with outlaws out in the Outer Rim and things like that where Mando usually does his business. Um, but what are they like on a practical level in here? And so that, that question's starting to be answered. Good on them for trying to answer it. But on to some of the not-so-good stuff. <laughs> um you made I, a joke about <laughs> you made a joke about how he was uh, <laughs> how he should have been eating cereal cereal card right cereal, <laughs> instead of the the yellow uh, imperial imperial biscuits. Um, <laughs> I thought that was it was it was very fitting. But uh, oh, Maya Kane, the last oh go before ahead. you go there, I just thought it was funny because this episode released on the same day that the new season of Ted Lasso released. And there is a running gag in Ted Lasso, the, the comedy series, where he buys, at the, in the first season, he and his boss are kind of at odds, and he buys her this thing of biscuits. And by the way, she's a very, very muscular, masculine-like woman in that series, which is kind of funny. Mm. But he buys her these biscuits, and that's like her like kryptonite, and she loves the biscuits, and it, that's what endears them to each other. Um, uh, is the biscuits. So I thought it was funny that this, both shows are happening at the same time, but both have a, have a biscuit subplot. <laughs> but uh, yes, Imperial going to Aliyah Kane, you and I are, you and I are bound to, to disagree on this one, um, uh, but I want you to go first. Okay. Well, the last time I saw her was where I think she died, but she was on the bridge when Gideon was captured. And when they had a firefight breaking their way in, it's possible she just got knocked out um, and was later just turned in, captured, along with any other unconscious crew uh, with Gideon to, uh, to the New Republic. So the thing is, I actually liked your character in the previous seasons. I, I thought, you know, hey, this is a character who exemplifies kind of the imperial arrogance, mm-hmm. uh, the very structured leadership. She's not a joke like the resistance. Right. Uh, or sorry, the, for, the like the first order. She's very serious. Um, <clears throat> but here you see both sides of her and you're made to go in both directions, I think. When one, oh, oh I kind of like her, I can trust her. And then, Oh, well, she's still bad. So it seems to me like at the end of the, I mean, it's very clear. She's 
definitely still working for somebody or in the back of her head is at the very least still loyal to Gideon and doesn't want Dr. Pershing to tell everybody about this research that he was doing or to continue working on it. it she, she just wants to cover him up by basically wiping his mind at this point. So I, I have to say she got to die now. I think she got to die. <laughs> she bad. She's a baddie. Um, <clears throat> but I kind of liked her at least a little bit at first. Um, just the idea of, of soldiers coming back and getting amnesty. Uh, it's a good idea, but it's hard to execute. If you're, if you're going to trust scientists, one thing, but soldiers and officers, it's a whole other thing. And, and I, the, the amount of shrewdness that she shows yeah. really proves that they should have been more cautious with her than probably the, well, and, and I'm sure there's like there's always the evil scientists too who are like hee in their lab doing evil right. ex- experiments. That's not Dr. Pershing, but that may have been some other, you know, and by other imperial scientists, maybe some that we'll see in Bad Batch. But I, you know, I just feel like the concept of amnesty is introduced here, and what they tried to do with this episode. Tell me what you think. They tried to contrast the redemption that we get from Bo and Din with the amnesty that's offered to the Empire. And how the two concepts are similar, but very, very different in the end. And how Din is actually truly redeemed in the way. Uh, and he is, you know, very sincere. But obviously the Empire, this whole idea of amnesty just means kind of like we're, we're overlooking that. And, you know, that's not the Watch's way. That's not the the way. And if, if like, um, Armorer had said to Din, you know, like, we'll show you amnesty or temporary amnesty or something, it would have kind of, like, messed things up. So maybe that could be a sign that the, you know, the New Republic is is failing. I don't know. I, I certainly wouldn't do amnesty for officers. We might do something else where they they don't, like, work directly for the government anymore. But they could work in, like, normal civilian jobs, absolutely, and be, you know, forgiven for that, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Easier to trust them in that so uh, one thing I'll say regarding the themes is this is where I actually like the titling of the episode. They did a good job of this where sometimes yes. sometimes yes. a title of an episode is super just like the minds of Mandalore. Okay, we're going to the minds of Mandalore, guys. Like, right. like you, can't, you can't get more obvious. But this one, the convert <laughs> is yes. obviously going to be referring to, Man- uh, to, 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 to Bo, who is – now converting to the cause of the um, uh, of of the way, but you also have an element of Doctor Pershing has now become a convert to the New Republic, and <clears throat> then you have uh, an example. The third example is Elijah Kane being a fake convert, where this is someone who is on the outside demonstrating that they've changed, that they are part of the cause but on the inside really aren't and have ulterior motives. And so it's trying to show the different types of converts where Bo-Katan has shown no visible reasoning to join the converted cause, but she is there and is probably going to be devoted in some way. And then you have Pershing who has shown all the signs and he is converted and he wants to help the New Republic. And then you have Elijah Kane, who's done all the things but isn't really converted. So it's just interesting that the, 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 the title works on n- numerous levels, which I appreciate. But also, regarding the amnesty program, if this is a topic, if you're like, I really want to know what happens to Imperial officers, what is the amnesty, what is the reintegration institute, what, is, what, what happens to pilots, what happens, that's their skill set, is piloting ships. What happens to them? The uh, novel trilogy, mm. Alphabet Squadron, which includes Alphabet Squadron, it includes Shadowfall, and it includes Victory's Price. All three novels by uh, Alexander Freed. Uh, this book being the second longest canon novel. Um, I did not like this trilogy because it is depressing as heck. Oh my, is it depressing. I... Mm. I was exhausted after reading the, these books, and I didn't like where they took the characters and stuff. But on a world-building perspective, these books were really interesting because Freed was able to um, uh, explore the amnesty program type stuff a lot. So all this stuff wasn't new to me. The, the types of discussions they're having in the episode I thought were good. Um, and you know, you have to think, whenever you're winning a war, you have to think what's going to happen. 
to the people involved. Uh, let's take uh, two, two wars. Uh, starting with the Civil War. Uh, the Civil War is an example where the, the major power actually beat the smaller power. And so it's a <clears throat> different circumstance where the rebellion was the small power who beat the big power of the empire. So that's the first difference. The second difference is that when the North won, there weren't severe war crimes done by the South. Obviously, you had the things, the crimes that they had done towards slaves and slavery, and you had a few a commander or general here or there who had done some, some war crimes. But overall, the Civil War didn't deal with as much war crimes. You look at something, mm-hmm. so, so they didn't have to deal with amnesty. They just said, everyone, if you go back home and just work at your job at home, we're all fine. You don't, you don't even have to um, uh, serve any prison time or anything. Just go home. Contrast that with another war. Let's look at World War II, which is, I think, the be- a better comparison because World War II uh, deals with the Nazis, which is what the empire was largely based off of, where there were a lot of war crimes committed. And so they had to mm-hmm. have these war tribunals and they had to have these other things where once the, 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 the trial started, everyone on the Nazi side started saying, well, I'm just an innocent pawn. I'm just doing what I was told to do. And everyone tried passing the buck. And so everyone tried to act like the innocent little soldier who's just holding the rifle. I wasn't doing anything bad. And so you have to think, at what point are you culpable? Are you responsible? Is an Imperial captain who's in charge of a Star Destroyer culpable? Should you let the lieutenants on down uh, go free but leave the ca- make the captain serve jail time? Or do you say it's only admirals or generals? Or do you go with the route that we went with World War II where it's only if you were directly involved in the war crimes? And that's a very, com- that's a very complex discussion to be had. And to me, the mm. Star Wars oh, universe yeah. is so complex that what they decided to do is, all right, everyone's going to go through the amnesty program and we're going to root out which people are like these Imperials will never be ready. These Imperials will be ready eventually. And these Imperials are ready now. And it's, they kind of split them up into the groups. And then the ones who are ready now immediately got pushed into jobs. And the ones that were like, kind of, they put into the reintegration stuff. And then the other ones they had to imprison and, and all that stuff, which is why they have the droid who's checking in on him to see, is he slipping back or is he going this way? Like mm-hmm. what direction is he in? Which I, I thought that was a clever move. Um, some people were annoyed by the droid's repetitiveness, uh, but mm. the, I, I, the, 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 the concept there, it's a very much like a thought provoking concept, which is why I, I liken this to Andor because this does generate ideas and political themes in the way that the Mandalorian book of Boba Fett and Kenobi never really did. <laughs> I just have to interrupt with a thought real quick yeah. because as somebody who has to deal with, I don't know, everybody deals with this name. If you are on the phone and you call any business or like something that gives you service, you immediately have to talk to a literal robot phone <laughs> operator right? voice. And you have to yell at this thing and sometimes use language to get it to bring you to a person. Because it will literally not do that unless you say certain bad words. <laughs> and it'll just send you in a long rope around. Even if like you just you were you were with a person, and you got disconnected. You have to call back again and go through the whole system again. So I think it's very very big oversight to use droids as any kind of like yeah, psycho uh, psychologist or uh, just to to try and sense and and feel humans and like understand them. That's a terrible choice. It's the most unfeeling thing. And for it to ask questions like. Do you experience feelings of anger towards the empire or towards the re- new republic? Right. Like, if a phone thing offered me the bag, yes, I do. Right now, let me talk to a real person. You know. <laughs> so you're, and everybody, everybody has that feeling, um, <clears throat> and and I can only imagine that the, those type of things would be exasperated. But also, maybe they're doing it to test and see which ones have anger issues because they're like, right. if they survive this thing and don't get angry, then maybe we can still use them. Right. Um, <laughs> But here, here's where I go in this episode. So, and I really appreciate all that background you gave me um, about the Alphabet Squadron and the books and kind of the stuff that people may not know going into this. I think the failure of this section of the episode is the character of Dr. Pershing 
not his not his performance necessarily, but his writing and his background. And you want your characters that you root for to be active and not to just be going and things happen to them. Um, and things kind of happen to him here. He's kind of manipulated and he's just going along right. and things happen to him, um, which isn't quite as fun for us. He's not really very easy to root for. Um, <clears throat> it would been, it would have been better to, to, to root back at least to call back to his scene with Kara Dune, where she saves him from the two Imperials who were literally about to shoot him in the head, uh, right. <laughs> where she raises, she saves him. But did you know, you know, you notice his tick that he had that goes on in the episode a couple times. Did you see that? Which he tick? has a tick that he with his left or his right ear. His right ear, he he goes and, and reaches back and, and grabs it. Um, she, Kira Dune, shot this Imperial, you know, over that shoulder right beside that ear and just almost grazed the ear. So he has this tick, and, and he's, he does it multiple times in the episode. You see what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. There's one time in the speech, anytime he's nervous talking to somebody, there's one time with the droid, people are like, okay, he's, either he's lying or he's nervous and he does this tick. And that's what it's from. But... That type of thing was un that that didn't get noticed by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, if people, if you find a way to write this character of Pin Pershing just a little bit more relatable, a little bit more heroic, or set us up and have the contrast of his life before and the contrast of it now, and spend, spend more time doing flashback to his days in the Empire, and then flashback to what it is now, and show that he was more of a prisoner when he was at the Empire and he wasn't free, or this or that. And then now how his situation is mostly better. I think the, the theme remains, but the episode is a whole lot stronger and doesn't feel near as slow. Yeah. Do you I, I get that. Um, uh, the reason it worked more for me and like I, I connected with this character is because <clears throat> of the, the tension or the dynamic he has with Ilya Kane, Ilya Kane. So... Uh, I, I have an opinion that I, I'm, I'm sure most people are going to disagree with me on this, but, uh, for, I'm, I'm for one, when it comes to movies, TV shows or books, especially in my books, I'm very much a hopeless romantic where I really like reading cheesy romances and stuff. And, uh, as soon as I saw her character, my thoughts, especially when they did that kind of movement where he, they're introducing the different Imperials there and then they stop on her and like they play the ominous music and stuff and you realize it's her. Um, I knew she was going to be bad, but I also had this feeling of, man, I would love for her not to be a bad guy and for them to be happy because I thought that they made kind of an interesting couple because, you know, one of the, one of the, the famous, most famous, uh, idioms regarding couples is that opposites Opposites attract. (laughs) Okay. You knew where I was going with this. So, uh, uh, for one, he is a very, um, beta male. That I was going to use a much more appropriate term than that. Uh, <laughs> he is a very uh, quiet, a reflective person. He is not uh, assertive. I mean, even when he gives the speech, he's very you know tentative and is giving it. And in meeting all those people, he was very kind of like afraid to meet all of them. Oh, oh, yes, like he's stammering a little bit and things like that. He does not assert his. I had a word. People are going to take it in the wrong context. He does not assert his dominance with them. He's very, he's very hesitant in everything he does. Whereas every time we meet Alia Kane, she's very assertive. She's very determined. She knows she has her goal. She, the way she manipulates him is very sad, but it's very like it's very direct. Like she knows what she wants and she's going to get it. So you have that element of them. And then of course we mentioned that you know she has the more muscular masculine almost energy and he has more, uh, the uh, the different energy so it is kind of interesting that I mm-hmm. think that because of they have such stark differences between each other and the actors have good um, chemistry together because they are good friends in real life um, I thought that they they worked well as a dynamic and I have had a, in the back of my mind it's like I know she has to be evil but please make them a, a, a romantic couple and obviously that's not going to happen because boy is she evil at the end of the episode um, yeah she but I dark. still she did but I still had that throughout the whole episode especially in that 
uh, scene where they're walking together, uh, licking the pops and uh, uh, having the discussion. I was like, <laughs> oh, they're, they're, they're so cool together. Um, so I, Here's because of that, the characters for worked for me because I was invested in that. Do you think it was deliberate? Are we meant to take um, from the fact that they give each of them a number designation rather than names? And that's what they use with each other is, you know, like scientists use a certain code. Soldiers use a different code and, you know, like G68 and whatever else. So in in like, I mean, I'm I'm not even going outside of Star Wars the way I could like Clone Wars. You have a captain who shows up in an episode of Clone Wars who doesn't call his clones by their uh, name names. Right. And instead of calls them like CT, da 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 you just know that this guy's going to be a bad commander, you know? Right. You know, it's going to be, or in the Empire, the same thing. It feels a little bit like maybe like District 13 trying to like go ahead and make another Hunger Games out of, right. and like do what them, do the same thing to, to the, imp- or to the, uh, the, what was the name of the thing? The, Panem. To the ca- capital, to the capital, yeah. yeah. Do the same thing to the capital that the capital had done to them. So, but that feels like maybe it's very uh, dehuman- dehumanizing. Yeah. Um, and did you feel like that's something that was intentional? Like, is, is Favreau aware, or Filoni certainly is, is he putting that in there to go, here's another failure of the New Republic, you know? Well, I think he's going, he's going the route of, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And the idea uh, is, yeah, you got rid of the Empire, but the New Republic has its own problems, and some of them are the same as the Empire. Uh, so, it, it part what I think part of this does is it shows that no system of government is perfect, and no system of government will ever be perfect. Uh, at least, you know, in a fallen world, uh, it shows that there are going to be elements that just won't work together. You could get a great economics. But maybe your social programs aren't great. Or maybe you have fantastic social programs and maybe your military is not that great. Or maybe your military is great, but your economics are terrible because you're spending all your money on the military. You can try to balance mm. them all you want, but you're never going to get to where everything is perfectly everything perfect. It's just it's just not able to get there. And I think you're seeing that here is the New Republic fo- focuses some of its resources opposite of where the Empire does. But because of that... They end up making the same mistakes as the Empire, just in different ways, or they uh, make their all, all new mistakes. So I think that's the I think that's the direction of why they specifically wanted this type of theme in the storytelling. <sighs> it's hard to root for this new empire or this new republic, and I think we're being set up to like not be too attached to them, right? Um, and the, I, I think it'd be more tragic if they had been really really good. And it was like, oh, man, we lost him. The First Order ruined it all. Um, Well, I think the difference is you look at the EU. The EU went kind of overall chronologically in eras that it did. You know, you started with the um, uh, the Bantam era really was just like the first couple of years after Return of the Jedi. And so you're seeing the New Republic develop. Then you have the New Jedi Order where you've spent all these years with the um, New Republic. And so now you're really... Uh, attached to them and things these are happening and then you're getting into the legacy so you're expanding it each time well we went straight in the storytelling in the canon from revenge or from return of the jedi all the way to the force awakens where the new republic is pretty much destroyed so we mm-hmm. never had the 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 journey of falling in love with the new republic and then having it taken away from us which is part of the failings of the new movies is they just jumped 30 years and didn't have anything to fill in that time. And so because of that, it's almost impossible to really connect with the New Republic properly. And because of that, I think it's the right thing to go the opposite direction. You're never going to get fans all on board with the New Republic as it is because everyone knows the First Order's coming. Everyone knows the New Republic's going to be destroyed. Everyone knows things are going to change. So instead, what you do is you uh, focus your storytelling efforts on making the New Republic bad, on making them looking uh, like they're, they're making so many mistakes, and that actually makes the audience more interested because they're like, ooh, what new mistakes are they going to make now? So I think this is the better choice Maybe. of where they could have gone. Well, I am done talking about this section of the episode. Are you? Oh, no, I'm not. Let's get on. I'm not. I'm not no, done. You have more. I have, I have a few, few more quick notes. 
Uh, we'll do it. One is uh, I absolutely loved, and I think you did too, getting uh, some of the cool uh, themes, getting the the Jabba's Palace sail barge type theme. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The Baroque. Yes, yeah, that was awesome, and uh, uh, I thought that was amazing. And then, of course, March getting of the, the March of the Resistance was also really cool, um, uh, and getting the. The, the top of that mountain, which was the highest point uh, of natural Coruscant, uh, that they went yeah, to go Umate. to. Umate, which was also in Light of the Jedi. Uh, I, I was like, ooh, that's a cool reference, which is, it was probably referenced somewhere else, but I know it from Light of the Jedi because that's where I first read it. So I thought that was really cool that they referenced that. So there were all these cool references that like they just threw in something for everyone uh, that I really liked from this section specifically. Um, uh, but, okay, yeah, now I'm, now I'm ready to move on to the other section. <laughs> Very cool. Well, we got the last scene, and uh, I definitely enjoyed this a lot. It has raised a lot of questions. But in that final scene, with uh, basically the confirmation, we see the, you know, the cool effect of the living waters, the way that she tested it. It made you think... Mate, there's something really special about this water. My theory is just, well, we know that Mandalore is the the only place you can get Beskar. Maybe this is just water. Then there's reservoirs of just unmined Beskar that have like made a certain imbued effect on the water, and that's that's what she was doing. Is you know, that's what's special about it? I guess that's my my theory with some the, of with the, the living waters there. Some of the metals got into the water, so it's actually <clears> a lot like Flint, Michigan, which is how they were able to tell. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I was, I, I wasn't gonna go there. To be honest, um, so I have some questions. Uh, obviously, we we have the redemption of Din, which was great to see. We get the also the surprising thing was, uh, you know, we've talked about with Bo being accepted. But here's my question to you, and I'll give my opinion second. You go first. Do you think Bo? is starting to actually believe she was such a skeptic. Is her heart softening at all now that she's seen a mythosaur that she didn't believe in now that she's seen that, you know, the planet is, is habitable. Uh, I think that, yes, I do. I think that she and Din are on opposite trajectories. Din is becoming less, uh, zealotrous, zealous, uh, zealous, less zealous. That's the word. He's becoming less zealous in his beliefs He's still he's still very much holding to them, but he's not zealous about it. He's not like if you don't follow this, you're you're an evil Mandalorian or something. He's like, no, nah, it's just it's it's with as evidenced by the fact that he would even talk to Bo Katan um, uh, in this season. Mm-hmm. So he's becoming less zealous. Then you have her that she's starting to be driven closer to the faith. So I do think they're going to come to a meeting <clears throat> point eventually where they have similar beliefs, where they're in a similar place, where they both have the tools you needed to unite Mandalore <clears throat> properly. Mm. In her mind, she's got motivations. We've heard her express a few of them, such as she doesn't want to see her people fight amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, she wants the Darksaber because she wants to unify the people. She wants to unite everybody. But she's also obviously called the Watch Occult, and even she tells the armor in this episode she doesn't follow the way. Uh, but I'm wondering what motivation will win out in the long run. You know, she she didn't tell Din about the Mythosaur, and is that going to be something she eventually does? Or what, like, what is she going to do with that knowledge? Like, it's, she can't just sneak back and try and <laughs> go tame it on her own, or is she going to need help? There's a lot of questions about that. It's going I, to tie you back in. It's, it has to. Yeah. Oh, if, yeah. If they had just left it as it was last episode and <clears> not addressed <throat> it ever again, that would have been one thing. But the fact that at the beginning of this episode, she mentions, did you see anything down there? That's the first clue. The second clue is that she, as she's being patted on the back and welcomed into the covert, she looks over and she stares at the mythosaur symbol. And oh, the, yeah. the camera yeah. angle lingers on it. It's like where they're, they're saying, red alert, look, look over here. Remember this. Do not forget that she's seen the mythosaur. Like, again, it's kind of like the, um, 
the Rancor. Like you know, it's go there's it's going to come back and be important in the story later because you have to you you have to pay that type of thing off. If you're going to break someone out of a cult, there's very few things with the power to do that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> within the cult's ideology, if they believe so heavily in this thing of the mythosaur, like all of the power and all of the symbolism and how it's something that would only choose somebody that was truly worthy, like all of the weight behind actually taming or mastering control mm-hmm. of a beast like that would give her so much weight and authority within the, within the watch that she might actually convince them to change their ways. So is this foreshadowing eventual, the watch taking their helmets off, to embrace her because like you take the look at the creed and the creed was a certain thing but i think the i'll never remove my helmet thing was a recent addition yeah clearly you know whereas a lot of the a lot of the creed was a lot older than that and was you know she said it when she was a kid but she didn't say as a kid like i'll never remove my helmet like right so are they gonna take when they go back to the old ways are they gonna go back to that previous interpretation like i think Yes. Eileen, yes. Do you know one reason I think yes? It's because they recast the voice of Saxon. Right. And you can't. Did you know? And you. Yes, I did notice that. And they don't want to just use Favreau because he has such a distinctive face and they feel that's more like a cameo. So they actually want Mm -hmm. it to be an actual character. It would be so easy for him to do the voice. If it's just. If it's it's just as a voice. Yes. You are right. Yes. were you thinking the same thing? I wasn't, but I'm thinking it now. You have you you have we've won me over on that point. So I, I have a feeling we're going to eventually see his face, um, and that makes me a little excited. I really want to see Emily Swallow's face on the on the, you know take the helmet off. You know maybe they'll get that point eventually, but you know the question is like before they get to there, is Din going to be a part of Bo's adventure to get the Mythosaur? Is she going to like? See him as a rival, or are they going to join together? And I keep, I really, really hope they come together, that they work together. But it's not fun if they just work together right away. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to have some disagreement and some conflict and some mistrust. So it's not just, hey, let's all be happy and get along and trust each other right from the start and right. go do the things together, you know, because then the, then the story would be too easy. So um, what do you think about... Um, <clears throat> will the armor face backlash or consequence for welcoming Bo? Or, she, you know, if, if Bo just, you know, goes off and, like, does something and immediately breaks the watch, she's like, oh, well, she was in for a little while, but she messed it up. <laughs> I don't know. This is, this is the type of speculation where I'm like, I have such a good feeling that we're going to get this next week that I'm willing to wait. Um, mm. uh, we could. We could. So. Be very soon. Yeah, I, I think that we're going to get a lot of this type of stuff about the immediate ramifications of Bo joining and the immediate ramifications for the armor. I think that stuff's going to be in the next week. Um, which, by okay, the way... Okay, here's a good question then. Okay. Go ahead. I was going to say, by the way, next week's episode is directed by um, Carl Weathers, and it is co-written by Favreau and Filoni. This week's is the Filoni episode. Um, that he's writing. He's not directing episodes this season, but he's co-writing one episode. It's mostly because he's working on Ahsoka. That's taken a lot more time. So he's not. Mm-hmm. He's still producing this as an executive producer and is still like the main guy behind the scenes with Favreau, but he's not directing. But because he gets to co-write this next episode, I'm like, ooh, what Filoni connection is there going to be this episode? Because yeah. every, every Filoni episode has had a... <laughs> That kind yeah, of a thing. you're you're right. You you kind of know it's the middle of the season. It's time for something special to right. happen. Um, they're they're waiting to drop a big bomb, and I can't wait for see it. All right, one more questions that I well I have some more, but I'll, one big one. Do you think the dark saber will be much easier for Din to wield now? No, but I think that he'll it'll get easier over the course of the season. Hmm. See, I think. It may not be perfectly super light, but it will be immediately he will hold it the next time he light, and he'll be like, I can move it around. It's so much better now because he has the weight lifted of his expulsion that he's been redeemed. 
But he also will realize maybe there's something else that he's lacking. And that's where he finds out like what he's really being held down by. He has to fight through something else as a character growth. Maybe. What do you think? You, I don't you, know. You think I, he, I think it'll become lighter because he'll get more experience. That's the answer. I think. See, I don't think it's just about experience. I think it really does. It connect with a person's soul and intentions that much. And not that are they good or bad, but are they sincere in what they believe? And are they weighed down by a guilty conscience or are they clean? Like Gideon (laughs) committed to his beliefs as he was evil as they were. He was very, very free in his conscience to do exactly Mm -hmm. what he wanted. And he wielded that saber effortlessly. And Bo, for her sake, I wonder if now she would feel the weight differently. Uh, I think she would. I think she would. After seeing the Mythosaur, after seeing and being con- conflicted about her home and the watch, mm, I'd be know. very curious if she's like, oh, why can't I wield it so heavily? And then like, it's way light for me. No, that would be cool. Um, okay. Did Gideon actually escape? They had a, they had a mention of it uh, kind of in the middle of the episode as a, we, you know, we don't know. Probably he's he's still going to be around in some way. Either he has escaped or he's going to because we know that the actor Giancarlo is very much involved. So eventually. He had tweeted a a while back about recording um, for the episode, you know, several. uh, It seemed like he was going to be in a big portion of the season. So I expect him to be back within the next episode or two and be there for the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, And I can't wait. He's such a good villain. Yep. It's phenomenal. Um, is there any special property to the water? We kind of already talked about that. Do you think it's just regular? It's not only going to help. Well, they're, well, they're, her su- they're super make lucky. Better armor. They're super lucky that it actually does that because otherwise they bring back water and it's like, well, how is that evidence? It's just water. And it's like, no, 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 no. It has this special property when you would drop it in just like this. It's going to make that blue wave. Like they're, they're super lucky that it worked out that way. Because uh, otherwise, how would he have proven? How would he have proven that he went to Mandalore? Like, like, does he have pictures on his on his phone? Like, how do you prove <laughs> that you did the thing in the Star Wars universe? Anyway, the no, I don't, I I don't know what the properties are if it is special. Last question from from me is: Do you think Pershing's knowledge was really that dangerous that it that it merited Elia Kane trying to wipe his mind, like? Is he the guy who put the somehow in somehow Palpatine return? <laughs> uh, I hope that, well, I, for one, I hope it's not, that's not the reason. But I hope that, yes, he does have that um, element. I hope he does have that knowledge because I think that makes him more interesting. Um, and I think it asks, it raises more questions. What is that knowledge? If it's, if the answer is just that Elia Kane was nervous and didn't want any potential knowledge to get out, but he didn't actually know anything, then it's not quite as interesting. But if it's, oh, he knows something, we now get to theorize, what does he know? So, mm. or what did he know? Now yep. that he doesn't know it anymore. <laughs> yeah, probably not. He's probably... And when they kept talking about them, whenever they talked about the mind flare, I always kept thinking of Stranger Things with their mind flare. Yeah, yeah. Very, very same name, I believe. Yeah. Okay. uh, Anything else to add or are we on to a rating? Rating. I'm ready to go. Well, I will will tell you mine first. Or do you want to go first? I, I can. You go first. Seven out of ten. Okay. Uh, I'll say from an enjoyment perspective, it was like an eight or eight and a half. Like I had so much fun with this episode, but I recognize it's actually not that great in some ways. So I'll drop it down to like a seven and a half. Um, I will also stipulate that I think this would have worked better if this was the start or part of a separate series like the problem is they're trying to mix things up too much it's like no mandalorian should be about mandalorian Mm. you can have a new show set in the mandoverse that maybe brings a character over like pershing we established him in the first two seasons of mando now he goes off does his own thing in um uh 
uh, in his own TV show with Elijah Kane and stuff. If that had happened and this episode had 100% been Bo and Din, then I'd be like, yes, I'm, I'm, I like this would this would have been a good episode and that would have been a good episode. But because they were put together like that sandwich, it just felt clunky. Like fans were expecting all the bread, and instead they got the weird <laughs> meat. They they got the instead they got that um uh, uh Canadian turkey. That's like what we we thought we were getting bacon, and no, we're getting that Canadian turkey. <laughs> it's not even worthy to be called bacon. Call it Canadian turkey. I love it. Oh man, you know, thanks for talking about this episode. I know it may not have been like people's favorite this season, but in spite of that, it had a really good beginning and ending, and and for that, at the very least, it, to me, it deserves a seven. So. Next week, big things. Carl Weathers. Oh, we could have some great stuff. He's a classic director. Maybe he's going to get another Jeans guy. I don't know. Oh, this season man, would that be hilarious? <laughs> another Jeans. Je- something that sneaks past. You had to know that they made joke after joke about that and probably teased him. And he was probably really good sport about it. Um, probably wasn't even <laughs> his fault. It's probably one of those things that just got snuck in by the editors. So, yeah. It's very possible. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it was good. I'm excited to talk. Quick, any thoughts about Bad Batch? Thought it was okay. Yeah. We got we got lots of jokes about you know Fat Mace Windu, the mayor, right. and um, uh, and uh, uh, lots of Lord of the Rings comparisons. Mace weight gain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, gonna move away from that. One. Move away from that 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 uh, that, that grenade you just threw out there. Um, uh, Did you? You don't realize, but I'm referencing the Star Wars Theory live stream, oh, no. which when he watched that, it was so funny. It went on for about 30 minutes worth of jokes about Fat Mace Windu, uh, to the point that Star Wars Theory cried again from laughter on stream, and it was amazing. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, well moving on. <laughs> You can find us in all the usual places, Simplecast, iTunes, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all those places, Google Play. You can find our Facebook page, Two Sons of Tatooine. You can find my YouTube channel, Jonathan Cohn. Um, And you can uh, reach us in all those places. And until next time, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Nathan, a.k.a. MP Bro. And thank you for listening to another episode of Two Sons of Tatooine. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.